This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. I learned this the first day of economics class in college. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, okay? I talk about costs all the time. Every choice you make has a cost. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Episode 90. You believe that? 90. We are just 10 episodes away from number 100. That almost seems surreal because 100 is that like big first milestone that a podcaster gets to, and we are just 10 episodes away. If you've been here since the beginning, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support and the continued listening of this podcast because the messages that I receive on a weekly basis help fuel me to get where I need to go. And today I'd like to share an iTunes review that was just left by Ryan8382. It's titled Great Military Dad Podcast. I started listening to this podcast when it first started. I really enjoyed his perspective, really liked the short Fatherhood Friday episodes. The great episodes just keep coming. Ryan, can't tell you how much I thank you for that podcast review. If you have not yet left a podcast review, go ahead over to iTunes and drop it there. I read every single one and you just might be read on a future episode of Military Veteran Dad. Guys, this episode today is going to be a little bit different than what we've done before. I brought in a non-veteran, Brian Panuzzo. Brian is a certified nutrition coach who specializes in working with men who with professional success has cost them their health, marriage, and relationships with family, and most importantly, themselves. But not long ago, he was a Wall Street trader whose body and mind were broken, marriage on the brink of divorce, and he thought that he had everything was gone. People who work with him learn how to get into shape, get out of daily aches and pains, reignite the spark in your marriage that's been lost for years, maximize the connection with your kids by spending more quality time. That's definitely something we talk about a lot. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. He tailors the habits, the strategies, and the routine to your specific lifestyle and unique needs as a successful businessman. He spent over 20 years on Wall Street as a bond trader. And it was six years ago, he woke up to a broken body, a marriage and mindset, and everything in his life appeared perfect on the outside. Sound familiar? But underneath, it was all falling apart. Through years of those tireless education and work, he developed a system that allows career-driven men to have it all, the body, the marriage, family, mindset, that fuels them to make even more money at work than they've ever before. Guys, 
I brought Brian in because when I first found his story, it instantly resonated with me with what veterans go through. His connection with doing Wall Street for 20 years, having this routine of what life was supposed to be. He just adopted the life, the road that was in front of him when he first graduated college. And it really took his life almost coming to an end there, where all of the things around him that mattered the most were falling apart for him to wake up. And so many veterans are out there that either do 20 years in the military and then they retire and then they got to redefine what that path even looks like. They've been doing the same thing because the military provides exactly what you need to do. And think about how many times where we put our work. I mean, he was working 16, 14 hour days on Wall Street. Think of that comparison to what we have to do as veterans with our family and the toll that that takes on our family. And at some point, I always talk about it like a credit card. That the time with your family, the time with your wife, the more that you'd say, I'm going to work and not invest that time with your family, that's a transaction against the credit and the balance on your credit card. And when you're home, guys, you need to pay back that balance with interest and make sure that it does not go bankrupt. Because if it goes bankrupt, it's all off the table, guys. And you most likely either maybe don't get to be a part of your kids' lives, you end up in divorce. But I'm here to tell you that Brian woke up just in time. And his story is absolutely amazing. And I brought him on to really challenge the path that you think you need to be on, and the path that you have been laid out for you in many ways, and to really dream about your life in a way maybe you haven't done before. And so without further ado, let's get started with Brian. And I'll talk to you guys again on the other side of the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. I appreciate you having me. I, uh, I don't I was thinking about this. I don't quite feel worthy being here. I, I listened to a lot of your podcasts as we were just talking about, and I feel like I've been a, a taker in society for so long, you know, having the corporate career that I had. And, and I've listened to a lot of your guests. You've had some unbelievable human beings on here. So I'm going to do my best to try to contribute to your audience and to the people that, uh, that pay attention here. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Brian, for coming on. You are not a veteran, but your story was one that I knew I wanted to paint and explain to veterans and have it on the show because so many of veterans, they, we accept that this is the way our life is built. This is the way life has to be wired, that there's almost this cookie cutter model that life has to happen in America. And you are the exact opposite, but you were part of that cookie cutter and you completely blew it up and started over. So go ahead and give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being where you are today and where you all started. Sure. I'll try to be fast because it's it can be it can get a little long. 42 years old, Brian Panuzzo. I'm married, uh, two young children. I have a soon-to-be 11-year-old and a six-year-old, 11-year-old boy, six-year-old girl. I live in Palos Verdes, California, which is right outside or the Los Angeles area. Previously, 41 years of my 42 years, I lived in the New York, New Jersey area. I was born and raised right outside of New York City in New Jersey. Sports were a big part of my life. Basketball, a huge part of my life. College, played basketball, found myself in a Wall Street career uh, at a college because you know that's what everybody else was doing. Everyone was a, a business and economics major. You know, on my team, I lived right right outside of New York, so everyone was going on to Wall Street. You know, just sort of found my way there and thought that it was the right decision for me to make, and never questioned it. You know, just put my head down and started to work, and life was really good. I started to make good money met great people, great opportunities. And like I said, you know, to you before life started to happen and you know, got married in my late twenties. I think I was 30. Actually, I met my wife when I was 26 or 27 
and started to have a family, started to accumulate some of the things that you do when you have, make a good living. Country club, big house, you know, big house with a big mortgage, country club costs money, you know, a couple of cars. Like, yeah, no, you know, not, nothing, again, not, nothing out of excess or greed, just got into this cycle of life that everyone around me was doing and came to a bit of a crisis uh, several years ago in my life, which we can get into, but, you know, decided a few years ago that, you know, I wasn't exactly meant for the life that I had chosen at 21 years old and started to question, you know, what else in my life, you know, should I question if my, if my, if my health was failing and, and I repaired it, you know, and, if I thought things were was supposed to be a certain way, my marriage was sort of on the brink, repaired it. What else can, can I, can I do? And, and, uh, explored changing careers. Uh, we moved across the country and I now am a coach, I coach men, I'm a health coach and I coach men whose career success, whose professional success have, has cost them aspects of their life, typically their health, their marriage, their relationships with their children, their relationships with themselves. You know, I was a big sedator. I was, you know, stuff it down, avoid it don't feel it, don't express it. And ultimately, you know, came to a point in my life where things sort of bubbled over and couldn't really handle everything that was happening to me five or six years ago. And I uh, was able to turn that around and decided to turn it into a business. And so a mutually exclusive decisions, but decided to leave a 20 year Wall Street career. I was a high yield bond trader uh, for most of that and left that career a little over a year ago. And just about a year ago, a year ago last week or so, I moved my family from, from the suburbs of, of New Jersey in Bergen County, right outside of Manhattan, all the way to California. My, life, my, my wife lived here when we first met, so it's a pretty familiar area for us. And now I'm attacking this new life at a, at a, at a young old age of 42 and trying to figure it all out again. I feel like a, feel like a rookie on the basketball team. I feel like you know, a rookie on the trading floor, uh, and I'm just trying to f- find my way again. So I'm interested, before we go forward, I want to go all the way back to your basketball days. When you were on the basketball court, what do you feel like you were chasing or what feeling you were looking to to feel when you're on? Because I feel like a lot of people that are within sports are chasing either approval, they're chasing the glory, they're chasing the feeling of just having people look up to them or the feeling of winning. What was the feeling for you? That's an interesting question. I've never been posed that question in, in those words. You know, I kind of, as I'm thinking about this on the fly, I love basketball and it provided me an, un- provided me a free education. It opened up doors to me professionally that I never, you know, may, may have seen, uh, obviously provided me with relationships now to this day that are lifelong and will be lifelong and provided me with a lot of lessons that I think were easily transferable to corporate world and to my personal life, communication, leadership, you know, understanding team dynamics. But I mean, quite frankly, I, I'm a, I'm, I was a big kid. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot six. I was always a big kid. I was always pretty good hand eye. I played a lot of different sports and it was like, you know, it was kind of what I was supposed to do, you know? And, and, and so that sort of, you know, that, what, what led me to, to starting to do it. And it was fun, you know, it was competitive. Um, I certainly loved the accolades uh, because I was a good player. Uh, I loved the team environment. You know, that's the one thing I, I definitely missed the most about basketball, I miss the locker room. I miss the bus rides, the plane rides. I miss the camaraderie with the guys. I miss being in, you know, and I think that's one of the things that attracted me to Wall Street too. You know, being on a trading desk is very much like being in a locker room, but it's also like being on a team. You know, you have your your freshman 
and your, your rookies. Uh, you have your first year guys, you know, you know, young guys on the desk, your assistants and stuff like that. And you have your your leaders, your veterans. And, you know, I've, I've played every single one of those roles throughout my athletic career and then through my professional career and really understand the different nuances of, of them all and uh, value that every one of those types of people bring to the team as a whole. And so, you know, the aspect of team is something that I really, really enjoyed about basketball now that I'm sort of talking through it out loud and missed the most and probably was something that, you know, kept me playing for as long as I did. There's something that I, maybe you weren't chasing something, but it sounds like you were really hungry to lead that like there was a feeling inside your heart that you really enjoyed leading other people to success. And basketball was kind of that first place where you got that flavor. Were you also the the team captain? I was, yeah. When I was, you know, in juniors and senior year, things like that, you know, I was, I was definitely a captain and you're right. I mean, I, I do enjoy leading, you know, I'm a, I'm sort of a quiet leader. I'm not super vocal. Uh, I'm much more lead by example, you know, do as I do, not as I say, I don't know if that's an exact phrase, but, but, you know, I would, I would put in the work and I did it. I did it professionally and I did it in my basketball career and, you know, I do, I, you know, I do it now, you know, lead, leading men. And so, you know, yeah, that's definitely something that, that is, is attractive to me and that I, that I find myself gravitating towards for sure. What about when you went into Wall Street? Was there parts of your basketball life that you kind of forgot about? Cause a lot of veterans suffer from just losing their identity, especially as we transition from what we love in the military and we take that uniform off and we have to reinvent ourselves while basketball and Wall Street had similarities. Was there part of yourself that you kind of lost within that process that you've even now reconnected? Cause I've seen you post a lot of pictures on Instagram playing basketball. Yeah, I certainly lost my skill and I certainly <laughs> lost my athletic ability. <laughs> and my skill now is not even close to what it was. It's, it's, it's great for a 42 year old father, you know, but I'm a, I'm a shell of, of what I once was. Yeah, I, I I lost my 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 physical capabilities, you know, which which led me to kind of a moment in my life, you know, at, at age about 35 that I had a, I had several crises in my life. I, it was a sedentary environment. It wasn't, you know, 20 years ago, standing desks weren't a thing. Movement wasn't a thing. You know, I was a, I was a six, I'm six, six, I'm a big guy. We, we sat in the chair all day. You worked 14, 16 hour days sometimes, you know, 10, at least 10, maybe 12, 14, 16 hour days. You know, you're commu- if you're commuting to the suburbs, like we talked about, you're, you're an hour in the car. And I sort of accepted that that was my life and other guys, older guys on the desk, super out of shape, overweight, in pain, getting up, complaining about their back. I just thought it was my destiny. And so, you know, that was probably one thing that I lost pretty quickly, you know, over the course of five years or so, I still continue to play, but since I wasn't taking care of my body, I was able to get injured pretty quickly. I ruptured my Achilles in my mid twenties. And then that was sort of the real decline of, you know, sort of my athletic ability, capabilities and career. You know, I was definitely not a very good basketball player when I tried to come back playing in my early thirties and then just sort of shut it down. But you know, never got my body back to a point where, you know, I was able to do things. I mean, I, I couldn't get upstairs without being in pain. You know, I had a moment in, in my mid thirties where my five-year-old son at the time, he's almost 11 now, uh, wanted to play Legos. And he asked me to get down on the ground with him and I couldn't get, you know, on my knees, flex my knees to my butt, to my heels, you know, like, like truly kneel down on my shins on the ground. I had to get up onto the couch and I had to play with him there. And that was one of the moments in a six month period that really, really woke me up to the fact that, you know, what is it that I'm doing with my life? You know, the money is great. The lifestyle is great, but how long can I enjoy it? Am I truly 
doing things that move the needle for me from an emotional standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from feeling like I have purpose in my life. And I didn't want to be a broken down, beat up, you know, ex-athlete, remember when kind of guy. And so, you know, my, my physical capabilities was probably something that I lost, you know, slowly over time, but there was these little moments that there were, there was kind of hit the accelerator button on that. If, if you don't use it, you, you lose it kind of thing. And, you know, I, I just thought that you weren't supposed to use it anymore. So I was resigned to the fact that, you know, that this was my new body. Within the team environment you had on wall street, what was it that prevented you guys from talking about emotions? Because <laughs> I was kind of surprised when you said that. I wouldn't have said it probably, I wouldn't have had an opinion either way, but I wouldn't necessarily have predicted that the uh, trading desk would have been a place where you don't really talk about really what's going on. In life. It's, it's, it's alpha males, it's type A guys, it's athlete, former athletes. Um, you know, it's probably a lot of guys from New York. Competition, and like they don't show any weakness type thing. And tough guy. It's, it's, you know, so you're in an environment where, you know, 30 to 50 people, not just all guys, but very male dominant, especially, you know, 20 years ago too. Uh, 50, 50 people can hear a conversation that you're having because we're all sitting sort of arm, you know, arm to arm, uh, face to face and different rows. And so, you know, it's very tough to have a personal conversation, you know, any, anytime you had a, you know, a tough conversation with a family member or a friend or whatever, you'd see someone grab their cell phone and go off the desk. And that was always, we were get off the desk. Let's get off the desk and talk because so many people could hear what you had to say. And so, you know, I think that combination of, it being and not being a private conversation ever, ever, unless you were just under your desk whispering or, um, you know, and the fact that we were all these alpha males that were supposed to be tough guys, competition, you know, throw a piece of meat on the floor. Let's see who can come, you know, let's see who can come up with it. Uh, it didn't lend itself to an environment that was emotional and fr- from a, from a being vulnerable standpoint, there were a lot of emotions, but it was more F bombs, um, and, and, and competition than it was, you know, Hey, I'm not feeling so good today. You know, that was, that you, you, there was, it was a predatory environment. People would sort of jump on you if they felt like there was any sort of weakness. So it was like, you walk in the door, check all your weaknesses, check your feelings, check your emotions at the door with you, sit down and go grind for, for 12 hours a day. That was Has the culture really changed common. in that type of environment or is it still very, uh, the way it was before? Yeah, it's changed. Not a lot, but it's changed. I mean, it's certainly not, you know, people watch movies like Wall Street and stuff like that. And they're like, man, was it, was your life like that? I'm like, no, unfortunately not. It was, I was about 10 years too late, but it's certainly still not an environment where you're encouraged by in most cultures and at most firms to express that you're not feeling a hundred percent because you had a tough, you know, night arguing with your wife, you know? And I think, you know, a lot of times, it, again, we relate related to my coaching, you know, like you didn't, you didn't want to go raid the fridge and not, you know, stick to your nutrition. You didn't want to skip the workout at the gym, but you had something else, another aspect of your life driving a decision because of an emotion, you know, that you couldn't handle or process. And so it's changed a little bit, but, but not much. I would say most of, you know, most of the guys that I still speak to are, are, are that way for sure. So let me stay on this for a little bit. When you come home, if you're not able to process your emotions, you probably weren't also able to process them at home because you just closed all of them off. How did it feel when your kids were all over the place? Because usually like for military dads, when your kids are on tethered emotions, it makes you very anxious. It makes you almost pull back and disengage as a father versus engage. Is that similar to what you saw? I was a champion disconnector. 
I was also a professional sedator. And what I mean by that is we have a phrase on Wall Street, you know, answer the bell, meaning it doesn't matter how late you go out, you, you go out, you know, how many customers you have to hang out with that night, you come and you and you make you make the open. You make you make you answer the you answer the bell. And so I never got to a point where I was visibly like, I mean, maybe a few times in my life, you'd look at me and go, Brian, Jesus Christ, you better go, go take a, go take a nap. You know, I was a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of marijuana, a little bit of, you know, hard drugs, a little bit, of, you know, a little bit of opiates, whatever, anything I can get my hands on, I would be willing to consume uh, in order to, you know, I couldn't have, I say this, I, I couldn't have a tough Tuesday at work without coming home, having a couple glasses of wine, you know, an edible a Percocet, whatever else was in my house, right? I disconnected. And I think most guys disconnect emotionally. They certainly uh, disconnect from a communication standpoint, the people around them. I think guys come home and they, <clears throat> and they spend time with loved ones, uh, but they're not themselves. And they're constantly thinking about issues that they have. And we, as men, as protectors, presiders, you know, um, providers, we, we, we think that we have to be this stoic person, right? And we can't show our wives that we're really struggling. We can't show our kids that we had a tough day. And ultimately, if you don't have that outlet, you have to turn somewhere else or you have to break down, you know, eventually. And so I was really good at turning somewhere else. I was really good at, you know, just sort of stuffing it down and internalizing it and just kicking the can down the road via alcohol, substances, anything else I can get my hands on, things like that. What about when it comes to, we talked about the emotional part. So you, you come home, you've got that disconnection, you're on autopilot a little bit. What did it take for you to shift out of that? Like, cause so many dads get stuck into that autopilot. Take us to the moment where you downshifted in neutral and decided I got to sit here for a minute because this direction I'm headed in isn't the right one. Yeah, well, I, well, I should probably go back and 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 finish my story because it's a big part of it. So I, I had a I had a, a several moments of crisis um, about six years ago, and so so the, the short answer to your question is I didn't do that well for fifteen years, which led me to a moment where I you know it was the slow aggregation of behaviors. I had a couple of crises in my life. My mom, uh, when I was thirty five or so, this is about five and a half years, yeah. So 36, uh, my mom was diagnosed with ALS, really de degraded very quickly. Within eight months, she, she had passed away. And anyone who knows ALS, it's, it's fatal neurological disease. And the last anywhere from months to years for people, obviously the person with the disease, it's pretty tragic, but just as bad sometimes, um, the caretakers, it, it's, it's really, really tough. Those eight months, I lived my life probably on steroids of the version I just described to you, right? The guy who sedated, who disconnected. Yeah, who you, just, you, we had a whole new wave of emotions that were damning up behind physically you. Physically present, never missed a sort of a shift with my mom. You know, was always there in the hospital she was in, in the long-term care facility she was in. I don't, I'm not sure I was ever sober, you know, hanging out with her. Uh, which I which I have a lot of regret over. Kind of reminds me of the cloudy with a chance of meatball moment where they have all that food dammed up behind the dam and it all starts breaking and the island entire island starts flowing over with food. Like that's kind of how I imagine your mind at that moment with all the like that pile of food was your emotions. That's probably what it felt like because there was just so much dammed up behind there. Yeah, and it, and so there were, there was never a moment that you know I, I I wasn't 
you know, slightly disconnected and, or, or very disconnected, but I was always present. And, and that was, it was a great metaphor for my life. You know, I was always physically present. I always made, you know, the, the bigger moments for my kids. Uh, I was always there, you know, no one ever really, if, unless you really knew me, you, you didn't know that I was doing some of the things that I was doing. And so my mom passed away and a, a few weeks after, you know, my wife sort of approached me cause she, she knew without telling me she knew she sort of approached me. We had a, we had at that point, we had a six month old and my son was about five. She said, look, this is not what I signed up for. We have two young kids. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick around and see if we can figure this out, but this isn't what I signed up for effectively sort of putting me on notice that, you know, this was, it wasn't a given that I've done. Like I thought I did the hard work by asking my wife to marry me, buying her a ring and going to a wedding. You know, I didn't realize that the hard work starts on that day. Not, not, it, it was a crisis for me immediate. And it wasn't anything, obviously my mom passing, you know, getting diagnosed and passing in, in about a year, that was a very short period of time, but my relationship did not, you know, degrade over the course of a year. It degraded over the course of, of knowing my wife, you know, of 15 years or so. And so that was a moment for me where I realized I had to change a lot of things. And I went to changing my physical appearance at first because I had, um, I had, I hadn't gained weight out of college, but I completely changed body composition. So I was effectively 20 pounds overweight. And so I thought that if I changed my physical appearance, my wife would love me more, which is silly, but very normal for a lot of men where I now understand is I, I was after the connection that we had when we met, when I looked a certain way. And so fortunately for me, I found a better level of confidence in myself. I found a lot of people that I started to pay attention to and sort of upgrade my inner circle of friends brought this message of, you know, positive mindset and, and gratitude and thinking about things, belief systems. I never heard what a freaking belief system was before. What the hell is that? Right. Again, like alpha male athlete, wall street, Jersey, get the hell out of here with your feel good stuff. You know, that was my life in a nutshell. And so I started to understand that, you know, I had a lot of belief systems about what my life was supposed to look like. All of them were not true if I chose them to not be. And so got off a little bit on a tangent there, but for me, it was, it, it wasn't one, it wasn't a moment in terms of like, I need to do this differently. It, it happened over a period of time. And when my, my, my wife delivered that message to me was, was the catalyst for me to start to make a lot of changes in my life over a six year period that quite frankly, continue to this day. I mean, I by no means have it figured out. I am a work in progress every single damn day. I wholeheartedly agree. And what you were saying there by changing your physical appearance that your life will love you more. There was something that hit really hit me hard because it's something that I've been going through the last eight months. It hit kind of like last December that to unconditionally love the other people in your life, you first have to unconditionally love yourself. So while you were going through physical transformation, hoping she would love you more, what you really needed to say is, I'm going through a physical transformation, so hopefully I can love myself more. Because there's probably was just an internal shame of just, I suck going through your narrative and your subconscious that you didn't necessarily want to admit, but was governing all your processes and actions. And it really probably took that rewiring of how you looked in the mirror at yourself to really change how you can see the world almost to take those beer goggles off. Yeah, it's very well put. And I mean, I, you know, look, to this day, I still struggle. I think everybody struggles with negative self-talk. You know, um, I constantly have to talk to myself more and listen to myself less. And, you know, I mentioned to you before we started, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's 
still in the business and sort of thinking about making this transition. And he was like telling me how great I was doing, how inspirational I am to him and have been over the last year. And I have all these people who tell me this yet. I still think that I suck a lot of times. And so, you know, it's, we should talk to ourselves like the friend that we, you know, that, that we have, like, if you, you know, we're buddies, you call me up, you tell me you're struggling. I'm going to pick you up, right? I'm a teammate. I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to tell you all the great things you got going on in your life, all the people that you're impacting with the podcast, your family. Yet we hang up the phone and I'm going to go drag myself through the mud. And so, you know, that's one reason why I've now learned through experience that I always have to have coaches in my life. And I don't know why I, I, I took this 15 year pause between having coaches in my life. For Christ's sake, I played team sports, you know? And so I understand the value of, of that. I understand the value of having <clears throat> mentors, coaches that you can look up to, people who have achieved what you want to achieve having people that you're sort of the peers, your teammates that you're running with, and then also having the subset of people that you're also teaching, you know, whether it be a paid client or a podcast listener or whatever, if you have all three of those segments in your life, I think you're constantly feeding, challenging yourself and then sort of feeding others behind you. And then, you know, you call me, you're, you're doing great. I'm, I'm challenged by that because I'm competitive and I want to, I want to chase you all three of those things in your life is, is super important in my opinion. When you first started trying to rewire your life, where did you start? So I started with fitness, uh, understanding that, you know, or, or believing that, you know, my, my wife would be more attracted to me, fall back in love with me. I then started to realize that it was about the connection that I was after when we first met. And so you know, I just started to chip away at myself. Like what else in my life have I told myself that is to be true? And so, you know, for me, it was, I found new passions, new vices. I replaced the research reports and quarterly reports that I used to take home with me on the commute home with nutrition podcasts and fitness stuff. And again, I was fortunate enough to find, you know, certain people virtually that were delivering this dual message of, you know, health and wellness, but also a big mindset component. And I now understand that it's, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's like 80, 20, you know, the other way, like we all know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we don't I, have I, a knowledge problem. It's an application problem. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm very clear with people who I work with and just friends and my message is we all know what to do. I'm not going to give you anything revolutionary, you know, like I might have a, some better tactics, like my tactical you know, stuff might be, might be a little bit better than someone else's, but we can all get it done. We can all, we all know how to move our bodies more. We all know what foods to eat. We all know kind of what to avoid. Why don't we do it? I became sort of obsessed with, you know, why did I, I, I knew I shouldn't gamble that much. Why did I owe the bookie money every Monday, you know, or every other Monday? Um, I knew I shouldn't do, you know, drugs or drink as much as I did. Why did I do it? And so, you know, it came back to me to more of a mindset shift of identifying and observing why I was doing certain things. And I think for a lot of people, it goes back to, you know, how they were raised, how, how they were developed early on. You know, I came from a family that was very loving. Um, my parents, until my mom, you know, my mom passed away. My parents were high school sweethearts, you know, 
we were, we were close knit, but we weren't this sharing type of a family. We didn't challenge each other. We didn't, you know, we went on the same vacations. We didn't, we didn't talk about feelings. It was very much a, a, a sort of a comparison to, to a lot of my wall, the wall street career. Like, you know, you sort of kept to yourself and then you did what you had to do and you know, you loved each other and then you moved on. And so, you know, I think a lot of that is still very, you know, I, th- I think it goes back a lot to your, you know, your wiring and how you were brought up. And that's the part that I learned through Tony Robbins taking one of his courses this winter was how we perceive the actions and the life happening every single day. The only interpretation our brain has is the lens of our emotions of how we've emotionally experienced it in the past. And so however you emotionally experienced watching your dad come home, that's the only lens that your brain has to feel how you come home now and if you want to start changing how your brain interprets, you need to start introducing new emotions and new understandings. And I think that's what you started doing. You started bringing new people into your life, changing the average of five closest people in your life to actually up that game. Probably one thing you also weren't doing was reading books for those 15 years on Wall Street. It's crazy of how like you leave school and you stop learning and thinking, oh, I'm done. I go into my do mode and I never have to learn again. But like once you start, I remember I didn't start reading books again until like 2014. And that was like 28 at the time or 29. I was like, I haven't read a book in forever. Now I'm addicted to it. And you learn so much information and wisdom. And but like what you also said, it's not a knowledge problem. It's also an application problem. And you really have to be at that point of hitting rock bottom, like then and starting to truly change. Like for myself, I remember when COVID hit. It was like the second week of March and I was like, you know what? Life is changing faster than I can keep up right now. I was like almost in caveman mode. Like I was just so fearful of like everything. I hadn't prepared. I wasn't ready for the global pandemic. And I remember thinking like, I want to be a better person on the other side of this. And like, this is the best opportunity. I don't have to go anywhere. I went to the grocery store once a week and pick up lunches once a couple twice a week. Like that was all I needed to do. And I started my 75 hard journey during that time because I wanted to be in a better place when COVID and or COVID hasn't ended, but when the world decided to open up or whatever it looked like at the time, and I just made that decision. And what I realized in the last four months that I didn't realize in the last five months of my journey was that like focusing on inward on loving yourself was actually more powerful than doing all the other things because until you truly choose to love yourself none of the other things are going to be enriched in the way that you hope because they're always going to be diluted with the poison of your, your voice, your if, way you look at yourself, the words you describe yourself in the mirror, like those distort how you see the world and what you're capable of. Like you can't even see your potential clearly until you start seeing yourself differently in the mirror. Couldn't, couldn't say that better myself. <clears throat> there was, um, I'm trying to think of the book that I read when I first it's a classic personal development book. Anyway, it's you, you think of your brain as the crazy ass roommate, you know, that you're living with instead of your brain. If thing was on the couch next to you spouting out all the crap that it does all day, you would tell it to shut the hell up. Like you wouldn't listen to it, you wouldn't trust it, you wouldn't act on it. You would just tell it to shut up. So, you know, again, coming back to talk to yourself more, listen to yourself less. We constantly second guess ourselves. We constantly talk to ourselves negatively. We constantly, you know, focus a lot of our lens through, you know, or our eyes through the lens of, of regret or anxiety, which is, you know, past and future instead of 
focusing on what you can do right now in this moment, because you, you really can't do anything about the past in terms of changing it. You can't do anything, right? Maybe you can atone for it a little bit, but you can't change it. You only and appreciate it really that it's you know, given yeah, whatever it's, perspective great, you've got. That's a great way to put it. And then, you know, like for me, anxiety about the future, ironically, you know, by saddling yourself with this anxiety and worrying about what's going to happen in the future, you're actually making it come true more by not doing anything about it today, you know? So it is cliche, like focus on now, focus on today. But, you know, I think that's a big key for a lot of people. And it's a big thing for me, like, you know, in talking to people and coaching people, it's like, it's cool. You had a tough weekend, but like, okay, it's, it's Wednesday. It's not the weekend anymore. Let, let's go. You know, like, I know, I know you fell off the wagon. I know your college buddies were in town. I know your in-laws were here. I know it's the summertime. Like we're not supposed to be perfect. We're not perfect individuals, but you know, like, let's go. All you have to do is just come back. If you keep coming back every, you know, I break things down a lot still mathematically. It's the way my brain works statistically. Every day of the week is 14%. And so for you to throw away Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, because you had a bad Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, it's 42% of the week, those three days, you know, like just go, go, go win those. I mean, 40, 42% gets you in the hall of fame in baseball, you know, like you just, just owning Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday can, can get you pretty far in life. And so, you know, I talk a lot about, um, compound interest, compound interest is the most powerful phenomenon in savings. It's, it's earning interest on, on the interest you've already owned, keeping your money in the bank and continuing to let that accumulate. And those, a simple interest, which would just be putting your money in the bank, getting the interest, spending it. Next year, you get the interest, you spend it. Those lines, simple versus compound interest for five or six years, they look exactly the same, but it starts to curve up around maybe like year six or seven. By year 15, it is a hockey stick. Those lines are unrecognizable between the two. Right. And so that's what we don't do enough as human beings in all aspects of our lives is just put the reps in over and over and over so that, you know, 10 years from now, everyone wants it now. Right. We spend 20 years getting out of shape. I'm 42 years old. I'm in pretty good shape right now, but, I, but the best shape of my life was around 21 years old. Right. Senior in college, I was dunking on people. I was the man. And now, you know, like I, I've done a lot for my health in the last five years, but most of my guys are probably in the worst shape of their lives, which is why they come to me. And it's like, okay, cool. You spent 20 years getting out of shape. Now all of a sudden you want to do something about it and you expect results in four months. What are you, what are you nuts? You know, like what in your right mind gives you the right to believe that you deserve that, you know, instead, why not try to have, why not try to make, you know, if you're 42, why not try to make year 46 through 96, the best 50 years of your life? You know, you have a whole nother life to live. What are you in a rush for? <laughs> We're always in a rush. So I think if we just slow down, focus on the things that actually move the needle in our lives and just repeat them over and over and over. And when we don't give ourselves the damn grace to just go back at it again, like just pick yourself back up, dust yourself off and just keep going. Like, don't stop the race, you know? There are so many analogies there that I'm going to throw back at you because there's, a, I'll tell you a quick story about my fitness journey. So being in the Marine Corps, biggest running club, business, biggest fitness club that I, in the, in the military, I would say my, next to the special forces, I hated all of it. I hated running. I hated pull-ups. I was never good at them. The stories that I would tell myself, I was always the guy falling out of runs. I 
had a lot of stories in my head that I was just never going to be good enough. It was one of the reasons why I got out. I was like, I'm not a runner. And these are things that make a good Marine. And I wasn't them. And I was going to try something different. But that story, so that got out in 2007. And it wasn't until I think 2017 that I really faced backwards and said, okay, let's tackle this fear of working out. And so I, a friend came in my life and it was a moment where at my, my pants, I was like, my pants stopped fitting. I was like, I'm so tired of my pants not fitting. This is a phenomenon that keeps happening over and over. I'm tired of it. And he posted it in a Facebook group and I was like, okay, I'll take this as a sign. It was a dad challenge. And he helped me get, and he essentially loaded in gym workouts. I just needed to show up which was also something I didn't realize the power of coaching. Like sometimes just removing the things that stress you out, like picking out the workouts. Like I didn't need to decide that I just showed up, opened the app, did what I needed to went home and he managed all the workouts. Like on day two, I remember very vividly. One of my first colloisms related to fitness was what you were talking about. And it's coincidentally that you were using compound interest because it's essentially making daily deposits in the bank of tomorrow is going to the gym. Like, and when you make those daily deposits, they build interest. And on the days you fuck it up, you're okay. Cause you've built up a cushion. Like, it's not like you're riding without a cushion under your butt and you just felt that bump because you missed it. Like you have a good cushion if you make good deposits. And then like the third day, I remember doing dumbbells and I started with like a 10 pounder. Cause that's where you start. And I remember thinking like, Oh, this is kind of easy. Now I can move up to 15s. And then it hit me. I was like, wow, what was hard to yesterday will be easy today. And if you just keep putting in the reps, whatever is hard today will be easy tomorrow. Like it's crazy of how like you go into this mindset that like things that are hard are hard and we don't do hard things. But when you do hard things, like we were talking before we hit record, being a fucking dad is super hard and we're fail at it multiple times, like daily sometimes. But you just keep repetitive process. And I was sharing how when I first lost my job and being a stay-at-home dad, like it was so heavy. I was like, I just felt so lost, but I've never lived that life. I'm reinventing it as I go. Now I'm almost looking back. I'm like, I can't even really imagine that. And it's just happens because each day you wake up and you become more of a stay-at-home dad and you learn different things and you make those just basic reps. And what I learned about going to the gym through, I did almost two year commitment before COVID hit. And what I learned through that is going to the gym is less about fitness and more about just teaching you the basic mechanics of life. Because if you just apply the basic fundamentals of doing a workout, improving, getting a coach to help you improve, going to the gym is more about life than it is about, the byproduct to me was actually looking better because just those little colloisms, proving that you could improve, doing something that's unemotional. Like there's nobody yelling at you at the gym. You're just there doing these workouts. And by being able to do a simple step and improve it and see results, like that little micro moment is what gives you hope that other micro moments can happen in the harder areas, like your marriage, your kids, your career. But proving that little moment that I improved on something I thought was impossible yesterday. I just benched 200 pounds. I never thought I could do that. That opens up like with your world. It opened up like, what else I wonder could I do if I just did that and I told myself I couldn't anymore? Taking care of your body, taking care of your health is effectively showing up for yourself. And if you can't show up for yourself, how the hell are you going to show up for anybody else in your life at 100%? You know, dads often, busy, busy dads think about, well, it's selfish time. Well, that's, the, you know, I'm so busy with my career 
any waking moment that I actually do have, like I really need to go, you know, make up that time with my family. And I always tell those guys, like, would you rather be at 60, 70%, you know, a hundred percent of your available time, or would you rather, you know, what's better you at a hundred percent, 80, 80 or 90 or, or 95% of the time, it doesn't take a lot of time to, to commit to yourself. And there's so many ways to find time. And we, you know, we all think we're busy. We're not all that busy, but if you're not going to show up for yourself, how can you show up for the people that you say are the most important parts of your life, right? Your wife, your partner, your family, your business, your employees. I mean, all these things that you say that you put on a pedestal that you say are super important. If you're not willing, if you're, if you're going to sacrifice your own health for that, you know, how, how can you show up for them to be the best person for them? So I look at it as selfless, not selfish, you know? I like that idea as well. And what we're really hitting at to the core here is being able to recognize that I can change my life forward. So many of dads just go through their life and assume that it's about getting that 401k stocked up so that I can quit putting in all those long hours. So then later I could enjoy life so many time. And it's like, you don't realize it until you kind of open your mind up to it. But the choices you make today they're affecting how you show up as a dad right now. But the one that you really are really messing up with is your ability to help lead your kids as adults. So like your ability to, and your likelihood of making it to grandkids and your kids to be in their thirties is directly based on now. And like, to me, it's selfish when you make shitty decisions now that affect and take away the time where your kids get to enjoy you as a grandma and grandpa. And if you're a dad that maybe doesn't get to live that long and ends up dying of a heart attack in his sixties, you are forfeiting so much life from your kids and that they didn't actually have a choice in and they have to now deal with that. They have to deal with being doing life on their own and they don't get to enjoy the colleague phase of parenting where you're actually just colleagues as parents and you can joke and talk and help each other. And that's like, that's the real pain at the end where you're you're writing checks right now that I always like to cheat, cheat, talk about time as a credit card that when you're doing all the other things, like when you take time as a credit card, It's okay to borrow. Military dads have to because they go on deployments, they do different things, but you always got to pay it back with interest because there will be a day it goes bankrupt and you won't be able to pay it back. And you're going to be like, what the hell just happened? There there are two other sort of economics 101 concepts that I that I talk about a lot because again, that's the way my brain thinks, and it's you know, my my audience thinks that's way that that way too. Um, I learned this the first day of economics class in college. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, okay? I talk about costs all the time. Every choice you make has a cost. There's an opportunity cost for everything that we do. Going to the gym today costs you effort, costs you time, right? It's a pain in the ass. You bust your ass, right? Sitting on the couch is also a cost, okay? Which brings me to the next concept of inflation, okay? We live in an inflationary society, most likely, especially given what's been going on with our monetary policy, and that's a whole other rabbit hole, but most likely prices tomorrow will be higher than they are today. So what you choose not to do today will almost 100% cost you more in the future. So I, I relate that in my coaching to, yes, a coach, any sort of coach costs money. Okay, A trainer costs money. A nutritionist costs money. A, ther- a, a, a marriage counselor, a therapist costs money. 
what costs a lot more is chronic disease 20 years from now, heart surgery, like you mentioned, obesity. Imagine being at, at high, much, much, much higher risk for COVID right now because of decisions made over the last 20 years, right? People like you and I don't have, you know, we're not ignoring that it exists. We're just living our lives because we're not as, as much at risk statistically, right? Um, you know, you think a marriage counselor costs a lot of money, like try a divorce 15 years from now, right? So decisions that you make today, absolutely 100% have a cost. Nothing is free. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Those two things, it's like, think about you know, if you, you, you mentioned, you know, doing hard things results in an easy life, doing easy things results in a hard life. You can, you know, a, a buddy of mine is a, a high school coach and his kids wait till the last minute to study for the test. So they chose the easy route and then they end up having the hard route when the test comes instead of putting in the daily habits, making daily deposits, you know, to your knowledge of, you know, studying a little bit every day, the test comes two weeks later and it's a breeze for you. So, you know, I think oftentimes we think about- And that well, doesn't account for the pop quizzes. That's right. Life. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so I think oftentimes we think about, you know, well, I don't want to do that because it's, it's, it's going to hurt or it's going to be uncomfortable. And, you know, those things break down a lot of walls for us so that we're able to do the things that we truly want to do. Like you mentioned, enjoying your life later in, 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 into the future. Where do you see your future? So we've talked a lot about your past. Go ahead and describe what kind of life are you trying to build for yourself now? Wow. That is a great question. Um, and it's something that I'm, I'm still working on every day. What's the blueprint and, look like right now? So, First so floor, not the second floor. Yeah. We're not worried about the second floor of the house yet. We're in, we're in the found, we're in a hole right now. We're <laughs> in so, uh, no, but more importantly, actually, I think it brings up a bigger, bigger concept of, uh, I'm not pressuring myself to have it all figured out. You mentioned, you know, you, you rush to stuff all your money in this 401k, especially in my old career. Wall Street is very much like, you know, you got to have this all figured out by the time you're a certain age, because otherwise you're a dinosaur in the business. And, you know, I'm not giving myself the pressure of trying to figure all this out, like in year one of this new career. I have 20 years of experience doing something one way. Just like I talked about, there's no way I'm going to reclaim my health in a year after treating myself like shit for 20. There's no way that I'm going to um, recreate my income. There's no way that I'm going to figure this all out. So the the overview 30,000 foot is I'm giving myself the grace to sort of figure it out as I come. And that's not an easy thing to do. There are certain foundational principles that I want to guide my life for the rest of my life. And that that revolves around being able to dictate my own schedule and spend the time that I want to with my family doing the things that I want to do. So if I filter my decisions from a professional standpoint through the, through that lens, I, I, I definitely foresee right now I'm a one-on-one -on -one coach. I coach men. Um, I have a passion for corporate wellness because I sat in corporate environments, big banks, big companies for years, and I see how poorly wellness overall is run even at companies that mean well oftentimes don't do it very well it's somewhere that I, it's something that i would like to explore and was about to pre-covid before people stopped going to offices but <clears throat> so i i see myself doing something within health and wellness coaching nutrition fitness helping people um but i'm giving myself sort of the grace that you know 
it may not look like one-on-one -on -one coaching. I may start to offer programs, online modules, scale it more so that I can have my time because ultimately, you know, a one-on-one -on -one model is, is trading time for money. And quite frankly, I that's, the worst, that that's the worst transaction you can do. I have a job that paid me a lot more hour per hour than, than it does right now. So yeah. I'm not looking to recreate that. Um, but the hour so, playing Legos, that is definitely worth just as much. For sure. As long as you're not putting them all together by yourself, which I'm out of that phase, which is nice, but that's a, that's a tough phase to go through for like three to four years old. It's not one that I wish upon anybody. So I'm going to open up a question and be vulnerable for something that I still struggle with since losing my job in January. So if, since I graduated high school, and went to boot camp August 10th of 2003. I've always had a place to be every time I woke up. I was only unemployed for about two months or two weeks after getting out of the Marine Corps and don't remember any issues then, but I all I really quickly had a job. So I always had a place to be every single morning. And so my mind has been wired that you get up because you have a place to be. And for the last eight months, I have not. And every morning is like a hell of a, an emotional depression because there's not a place to be. And once I get through it, I have a great day. I have an awesome day. But every morning, without that feeling of a place to be, I, it's, I struggle. I have to go through like a 15-minute reliving of all those emotions. At many days, it's like January 28th all over again. How did you rewire your purpose without a place? Because I can imagine yours was so like built up. I got to go because the bell is going to ring. And if I'm not there by the bell rings, like it was probably this almost cadence every single day. So how did you take your mind out of that loop? You were, you've actually done it more up for more years than I have. Yeah. Uh, this is something that hits like super, super close to home. Remember Shawshank Redemption, red is bagging groceries. And he asks like a restroom break boss. And the, and the guy's like, just go take a damn piss. You know, like that was, that was me like for, 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 for three years when I really, you know, chipped away at a lot of aspects of my health and my marriage and started to repair those and started to ask myself different questions about my career. Am I really doing what I really love? You know, I like it, but I don't love it. You know, it's good people. It pays a great wage, but is it really what I want to do? Um, you know, I started to fantasize about going to the, <laughs> fantasizes in air quotes, going to the grocery store at 11 AM on a Tuesday, going to the gym at 1 PM on a Thursday. Like these are all things I could never do for 20 years that I wanted to do. All of a sudden, last August, you know, I could do those things. And I can't tell you how much anxiety it gave me. I felt like I was screwing off, not working, unsuccessful, and just a, a lazy POS. And so I had to really like work on myself and work on my mindset. First of all, I asked for it. I wasn't, it wasn't a lot, you know, you didn't ask for it. So I, I raised my hand for this shit. And now all of a sudden I can't have it both ways. I can't raise my hand for it and then be freaking out over it. Um, but like, again, going back to coaching, right. Um, I have far more experience doing the other thing. So give yourself a little bit of a break. You've only known one way for. That's what I've really been doing. Every, I just like say that this is, and it's getting easier every different day. I have good days and bad days and it's, all there. And it's, I think it's just time and healing. Cause in this particular case, it's like the emotion of it being ripped apart. Like it wasn't a choice. Sure, sure. I wanted this life, but I was definitely not ready for it yet. So when you get pushed into it and the way like it ended, like it just leaves that it feels like you're hurt. And in a lot of ways, it's like, I still feel hurt when I wake up and you've, I like what you said that you got to give yourself grace and 
for oddly enough for me, I was super looking forward to being able to just go grab a cup of coffee and have a networking conversation. Cause I want to make, I love making friends. I love meeting new people and I've always wanted to do that, but I always had work to get in the way. And then fucking COVID hit. And then that blew that whole thing up. And now I've just talked to people on zoom all the time. Yeah. Well, and I was looking forward to coffee. Like that was my biggest thing. Like, Hey, you want to grab lunch? That would be, I would have just felt like a, a kid in a candy store. But at the same time, I remember very vividly right when it happened, we pulled the kids out of daycare and I started getting them on the bus, getting them on and off the bus. And I remember it was like February 2nd when the first day and they got off the bus and they ran off and gave me this massive hug. And I had wanted that feeling so much to be there when they got off the bus. I was so, I hated having to be at work while they got off when they weren't, I wasn't there to get them off the bus. I felt like a winner already. Like I remember those moments very vividly, but at the same time, there still is that emotional soup that you have to kind of wake up for. And that's also the part, like a lot of what we talked about is good stuff, but what you also have to recognize is you are still yourself and you still have all the things that you're carrying and you have to learn to let them go and learn how to learn new things. Like in many cases, I feel like what I haven't, and I'm super excited now I get a new phase because kids have gone back to school there. We have a new routine in the morning because during the summer, like the hardest part was there's no fucking reason I need to get up. Like there's nobody to get on a bus. Everybody's home. My wife's home. Like it was as perfect as it could be. And I was like, well, maybe I just don't worry about getting up in the more early in the morning was kind of like how I did it. And now as the going back ready to school, I'm kind of challenging myself. Like, what do I want my day to look like? Because now they do need to get up. So I'm thinking about getting back in the gym at 5 a.m. to kind of reset a pattern, which was something I did before I lost my job was I was always at the gym at 5 a.m., do 45 minutes, come home, shower. And then my wife would leave at 6.30 and I would get the kids ready to, to get them to daycare. And like I'm trying to rewire that and I just kind of keep refiguring things out every day and just lean into the process that each day is an opportunity to to start over. And you earlier, maybe uh, in the beginning of the interview, you were talking about something that reminded me of a Zig Ziglar quote that failure is an event, not a person. And yesterday did really end and today's a brand new day and it's yours. And like, that's what we often don't realize is you probably were running so fast at Wall Street that every day was a day that like you could just pull the plug and set over. But like, you're almost, you have so much momentum. You're like trying to stop a freight train. And it took like literally a cow on the train tracks, which it, not a, that's a bad metaphor if I connect it to your wife, <laughs> but there's literally someone on the train tracks and you had to slam the brakes on this like, like, Whoa. And it took that Whoa to really like, wow, I was going way. even COVID the perfect example. Think how freaking fast the world's been going for over a decade now. And like how much COVID challenged, like, guys, you got to slow down. Like it's in some ways, if it wasn't so like such a health crisis, it would be a gift because the world did need to slow down. We were going way too yeah. fast. I, I, I gotta be honest. I know there's stats of like 76% or something like that. I saw this maybe as of a month or two ago, the population has gained weight. Now there might be a couple of pounds, but I think it was up to like 16 pounds. You know, there's a joke that the you've gained the COVID-19, like the freshman 15 or whatever. It's not funny, but it is reality, unfortunately. But a lot of my guys have done better in the last six months than they've ever have in their lives. And I'd like to think it's because of me, but it really isn't. It's just because they used the opportunity. We looked at the at what are the facts? Yeah, this is like the easiest your life is going to get your what, entire what are life. Our facts? There are there are no more after after work drinks. There are no more work dinners. There are no more work trips. Um, like you, there are no more commutes. 
I mean, you can sleep longer. You're cooking your own food. You're forced to take walks. You're forced to do body weight exercises because most people didn't have fitness equipment and they were, you know, all like on 600% markups on, on Amazon. Right. Like this is, I, I think I, I call it the fab five, right? Cook your own food. Um, uh, take walks, uh, keep your fitness simple, like, you know, body weight stuff, get more sleep and spend time with people you love. Right. Like, so if you can do those five things at all times, you're, you're like, we talked about, everyone knows what to do. You're like 90 something percent of the way there. I mean, yes. Can you sort of get an edge by strength training and doing some different stuff and, you know, taking supplements and all that stuff? Yes. But could 90 plus percent of the population live a really, really, really healthy life doing things just like that. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's also been sort of the reemergence of the American family in this, you know, in the, in this time too, like, you know, like we have so many fatherless homes in this, in this country and, you know, one by, by, by choice of the, the father not being there or being, you know, in prison or having multiple children or whatever, but also me career fathers, like I was a career father and now, yeah, I was there a lot, but you know, if I didn't get home by the time my kids went to bed, because I was out for work, I didn't see them until the entire next night because I was gone before they left. So there are so many homes like that, where the father is just not present as much as he really needs to be. And the statistics are, are, are damning about how, you know, how, what you are likely to become as a child when you are not in a home with a father, it's, it's unfortunate, but um, it, it's, it's black and white, you know, that I see. Um, and so there are so many great opportunities over the last six months, as much as it's come, you know, wrapped up in a package that looks like a bag of shit, but, but, you know, to, to look at the things that you can control and to focus on those things. I mean, how much is out of our control right now? Politics, social movements, like all these things, like if, if, if that's your thing, cool. But, but if you just put your head down and do what you can control, like, like go after the things that move the needle in your life. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You're going to be successful. Your family's going to thrive, you know? Uh, and that's like, that's my approach. That might not be for everybody, but that's my approach. It's exactly what we need because when there was a Harvard, a Harvard business study that came out and it was on fatherhood and it was probably like my best statistic that I've heard come out of COVID so far. It's something like 76% of dads are more engaged as a father since COVID. I was like, if that's the best thing, like if that's true, and if that's as widespread as the study predicted, like, man, like COVID is going to change. Like you'll be able to look 20 years from now and say, like, there was a sh huge shift in how fathers showed up in kids' lives after COVID. Like it will probably be a before and after type. That's, that's awesome. I, I hadn't seen that. That's amazing. Yeah. It, when it came across my feed on LinkedIn, I was like, wow, what a great study that just blew it wide open. Actually, I don't think it came from LinkedIn. I think it came from, I follow the National Fatherhood Initiative. And it was just, whew, it because there is so much opportunity as a dad. And what you posted on Instagram today about legacy, which oddly enough, we haven't really talked about much, but like legacy is what we've been talking about entirely. And you painted it perfect right there because what you posted on Instagram was you're leaving a legacy, whether you choose to or not. And you could be leaving a legacy that your kids could follow in your footsteps and they'll be the exact same kind of dad that you were that goes off to corporate. And even if they lived in New Jersey, New York, they probably could have got the same job or they would have wanted to be just like dad. And that would have been your legacy, more work. 
instead of more connection, more relationships, a deeper understanding of what they're meant to do on this life earth. And you've changed it. You've rewritten your legacy. It's not in stone. It's something that your kids will probably be inspired by the change that you, you changed to. And they'll probably remember this monumental shift in dad when he started coming home more because they'll reflect and say like, I remember COVID and the years before it very vividly because that was my dad started playing with me more. And there is, yeah, there, there's, sorry, if I cut you off, there, there's no, there's no greater reminder, um, more powerful reminder for me than my son. My son is a spitting image of me. He's long, he's lanky, he's blonde haired, he's blue eyed, he's light skinned. He's a kind, gentle guy, you know, person, which I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that I could dunk a basketball until I was 21. You know, like he's, he is a spitting image of me. He's an athletic kid. um, And he's on me either, either physically or with his eyes and ears all day long. And my wife is always reminding me that he's always watching me. He's always looking for my approval. He's always wondering what I think about a situation. Um, You know, he is doing what I do. They do what you do. I say that a lot. You know, it takes a long time sometimes to get them to eat the the foods that you want them to eat, but they are going to do what you do. And if you push some narrative with your children about how they're supposed to be, and you're not living your life that way, good fucking luck. There's no chance that they're going to do that. And so the best way for me to uh, affect the outcome of my child's life is to live the life that I want them to live. Right. Like show my daughter what it, like what a real relationship, a committed relationship means and how I love on my wife and how I stay connected to my wife and how I speak to my wife. And, and I am not perfect. I struggle with this so much. And communication has always been something that I really struggled with. And my wife and I work on it a lot. And she still has to remind me when we are, you know, in a disagreement, in an argument, you know, I don't, I don't do it very well. Like, like she does, she's done a lot more work on herself. Um, you know, I swoop in and I, I come off the top rope, you know? Um, and so, and, and when I talk, I'm, I'm, I'm a passive aggressive argue, you know, our communicator, I'm a, I'm a mumbler, you know, I'll, I'll go out of the room, uh, in the middle of an argument, mumbling something in a passive aggressive way. And she, to her credit, you know, knows that that's a weakness of mine. And so she will remind me, like almost call me back like a child and say, that's not how we're ending this. Now we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about this more. And I've noticed that I need, sometimes I need time. I need time to formulate thoughts in my head. I'm oftentimes a better writer than I am a verbalizer. So I'll ask for a pause. I'll say, listen, I, I need to think about this more. Can we, can we talk about this again tomorrow morning? So, you know, we're not, we don't just abruptly end. We, 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 we pause, we take a timeout, you know, for a sports analogy and we come back or sometimes I'll send her a long text, not because I'm trying to avoid the confrontation or the communication. It's just, I know that's my strength. It's one of my strengths. And so, um, we, this started on legacy. I went into like communication, but you got to live the life that you want your kids to lead. And if you don't, you're fooling yourself thinking that they're going to turn out the way you tell them they should turn out. It's bullshit. They're going to turn out the way that that, that you turned out. You, they're going to do what you do constantly forever. There is a joke that I've started telling about the dad with a shotgun at the door is the dad that lived a very low, low level life. 
And like that, you, you it's it's true because if the, the bar you set for a man will be the bar she goes out to seek, and the ones that she kicks to the curb are the ones that don't measure up to my dad. And she'll do it instinctively. She won't even probably be conscious to it. She'll just do it based on how she saw what a man was supposed to be like and how a man was supposed to treat me and honor my beauty as a woman. Like so much of how she like. I'm a little bit terrified. My daughter's eight years old and my youngest daughter is four. But like growing up in a world where your value as a woman is validated by the amount of followers they have on Instagram, that just scares me so much. And so like, I just focus so much on making sure that she understands that her beauty comes from within. And like what other people think about and say, isn't the end result that you believe, like what you believe to be true in your heart is the one that matters. And as a father, you get to lead that. Like that's the gift that you have as a father and why fatherhood matters because moms can't do that. Moms are incapable of setting that bar for their son, for what they can do for and as a masculine male. And then also as what a woman is going to look for when she goes out into the world, like it's, it's bred right into our DNA. I want to move into wrapping up the interview with the final question What's a parting piece of advice that you want to leave military dads? I know you're not a military dad, but what advice emotionally? Because your journey, if you would have swapped out Wall Street with a 20-year military career, no one would have been able to tell. I could have pulled it off hook, line, and sinker, and no one would have been able to tell the wiser. What advice do you want to leave dads of something that you picked up in the last five years of coming home yourself? Because the mission is to bring every dad home, and you had to go on that journey yourself, even though you weren't in the military. What part of your life do you want to share with dads to make sure they understand? Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, you know, I, I was not in the military, not even close. My, my closest military experience was getting recruited by West Point. And I vividly remember saying to myself, like, there's no way I'm going into the military. So, like, I was as selfish as can be, you know, at 17 years old. Like, they wanted me to play basketball in Army. And I was like, fuck, fuck this, man, no chance. Um and so I, I, I can't tell you, first of all, before I answer this, I just want to acknowledge you, um, your service, your podcast, your mission, like this is what you're doing is so necessary. So amazing. I'm so appreciative that there are people like you. Um, I would love to, as we call them basketball, run it back. I'd love to have you, you know, on my show and talk, you know, have you talk to more about your mission, your podcast. But, um, I do have friends that have been in the military. Uh, I do have friends that are fathers. So I do understand a little bit about, you know, some of what, what, what your audience goes through from talking to them. You know, I know like mission for you guys is obviously super important. And like, just to remind, you know, your fathers, the military fathers, like the most important mission is right in front of you every day. It's your children, right? And I know a lot of guys struggle sometimes when they come home and you sort of made mention of that, not specifically to, to mission, but, but not knowing what to do. You know, a lot of my friends came home from deployments and like, they didn't have a mission anymore and they didn't know what to do. And so, you know, oftentimes we, we lose sight that like we talked about legacy, the most important thing, the most important mission in your damn life is in front of you every day when you wake up. And, you know, I measured success one way for a long time, um, money, you know, how much did I make? And not out of greed, not out of greed, but like, it's just what I thought I was supposed to do, right? You guys yeah, have- The American dream is wealth and correct. Uh, objects and all the other stuff that right. goes with it. So, and so there's so many other ways to measure success in your mission, right? Like now I measure success right now in the number of meals that I have with my kids, how many times I pick them up from school, the number of walks I can take with my wife midday. So, you know, 
for me, like a father, there's no greater mission than your children. And I think that's really relevant for maybe a lot of your guys in that um, they come home a lot of times and they're a bit lost. And for the ones that don't have kids, obviously this is not exactly applicable, but I'm speaking specifically to fathers because that's my audience. Um, there's no greater mission than right in front. I wholeheartedly agree. And the, the, the weird part, it's not weird. It's awesome. But at the same time, like what we seek, the feeling, the wholeness, everything that we want to feel as a dad or the problems we feel like we're facing, PTSD, emotions, whatever it may be, like the solution is to engage with your family. Like, while I may not have had a, a great start to the mornings for the last eight months, the one thing that I always aired on every single day was being dead. If I didn't know what to do, or if I felt like it was just a bad day, or I didn't want to work on the business. Like one thing I did this summer was I instinctively didn't do any podcast interviews. I backed them all up for the entire summer. And I was more dad than I've ever been in my entire life. I would go to the pool with the kids. We would do bike rides all the time. Cause I knew that was what I wanted more than trying to figure out how to do anything else. Like, so whenever I was in doubt, I just erred on being a dad. Incidentally, this was proven true. I went for a bike ride with my daughter before dropping her off at preschool today. And honestly, what came into my heart was, I think I should start another stay-at-home dad podcast, like include this one. But then also like, there's an entire world of stay-at-home dads that are suffering the same feeling that I'm feeling. And like, I have yet to find a real good leader out there that's like putting out messages of how stay-at-home dads can help themselves. But that, I mean, I extrapolated the entire thing in my head, but I didn't do it sitting at my desk typing on a computer. I did it while I was going on a 15-minute bike ride with my daughter. Like the solutions we look for, the feelings, when we get to that feeling where we really want to get to, like me going on a bike with my daughter, I felt connected. I felt joy. That's where I saw the most clarity in the future versus sitting at a desk, pumping on more emails. You probably didn't have a lot of clarity on your future. Like you just knew it was going to be the repeat before. Like when you engage with your kids, possibilities just almost instantly open up. Yeah. Can I, can I say one more thing? You just mentioned yes. stay at home and I thought about this. I didn't mention it. You choosing to do 75 hard at the beginning of COVID and homeschool. I don't know. I don't know how much alcohol you drink previous, but you choosing to not <laughs> consume any alcohol for, for 75 days might be one of the most badass things I've ever heard in my life. So, <laughs> I is, wasn't a heavy one. I would say like maybe a six pack stuff, a month, man. but you're, I, you're probably right. I probably would have picked up more beer because if I would have kept the same moment of, because my wife was drinking wine through all the different times and we didn't have any friends over. So I didn't have any peer pressure from friends during that time, but I probably would have yesly definitely take even just like the proverbial, like donut. I was always getting my kids donuts at the gas station. Cause I was just trying to give them some joy of normalcy and not doing all of those things and those sweets like that was extremely difficult because there was a lot of temptation where you just felt like today was kind of an Oreo kind of day. And you couldn't have a fucking Oreo. Like I, I thank you for for pointing that out because the kindergarten was teacher was the kindergarten teacher was fighting off the uh, one thirty p.m. vodka a couple times <laughs> April and May. So I, uh, I think what you did was amazing, heroic. <laughs> and if like I wouldn't have probably been able to do it if I had somewhere to go or if life was anywhere crazy or any different because it was the perfect storm and so much more abundance came into my life and the energy changed like. I didn't have a beard before. I was 20 pounds heavier. I remember talking to different dads during that time and like, I just felt more alive. And I was really because I was focusing on myself more and focusing on becoming more the version I see inside my head. 
than the version that exists in the mirror when I look back. And like that created a larger energy and everything in the house shifted. And it was actually during that time I created a cloism that I always kind of ran with the idea of you need to be the lighthouse for other people. And that it made sense in my head. You want to be the lighthouse, you can help people find their way to shore. But the problem with that is people have to choose to go ashore. And like you could be a, the biggest lighthouse we've ever created and people can't, aren't going to come if they don't want to come. And the, what hit me really hit me by focusing on myself during that is if you switch from the lighthouse to the tide of the ocean, you can raise all ships. So when you focus on yourself to raise your energy and become more of the tide in the ocean, everybody goes with you whether they choose to or not. And that was what I was missing the five years prior in my growth journey before that. Well, Brian, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you have a offer that you offer on your website. Go ahead and tell dads if they want to get in touch with you and check out that workbook that you offer. Because I checked that out and it's got some good stuff in there. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I also have a podcast. Uh, it's called the, the Success Lift Podcast. The Success Lift is the name of my program. Uh, and I, I put together a free ebook that basically tells my story and takes you through a lot of the routines that I developed when my life was in this chaos and turmoil, um, evening, morning routines. It's not just sort of your, your typical miracle morning routine where you're going to become a millionaire. It's uh, very um, strategically how I uh, interacted with my wife and with my kids when I got home, a lot of things that I did. So some unique stuff in there. Uh, and a bit about my story. So that's at thesuccesslift.com, www.thesuccesslift.com. Uh, I so appreciate you having me on, man. This was such a great conversation. Thank you, Brian. I'll make sure those links are down in the show notes for anybody that wants to check them out and didn't catch those links. Brian, enjoy the rest of your day because I absolutely loved doing this interview with you. Thank you for checking out Brian's episode. I really hope this episode did exactly what I intended when I brought it to you. I hope it really challenged the true cost of living a life of mediocrity because guys, there are so many opportunities for our life to go up and live at a higher level. Every day we pay a cost of not doing something. And I really loved that idea that he talks about of what is the true cost. And really, I never really had it framed with the true cost of inflation. That if you truly think about the cost of doing something today is much more expensive tomorrow and the day after the day after. And whether you're trying to to solve diabetes 20 years from now, that cost would have been a lot easier today. And I never really had framed it that way. So that was really one of my big, big takeaways from this episode is really framing it in the way of cost and what is that true cost in our life. If we stay at work one night, what is the true cost of that to our kids? Or if we miss our kids' event going on, what is the true cost of that going on? And are we okay with that? And maybe sometimes we are, but I think the most important thing to remember is just to pause for a second and acknowledge that I'm willing to write this check or to borrow this time from the credit card because all often we just get stuck on autopilot and we assume, and that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Guys, if go over and check out militaryveterandad.com, all the resources, all of the episodes from this episode and all the previous episodes, Fatherhood Friday, my weekly newsletter where I drop this episode every week to make sure it's in your inbox and also learn a little bit more about me. I make sure that you get the Fatherhood Friday episode and also I usually tell a story about my life that relates to the episode or sometimes it's just me wanting to tell a story about something interesting going on. So guys, go ahead and over to head over to militaryveterandad.com 
enter your email there, and we'll make sure that you stay up to date on all the major resources. And if you haven't checked out freedadcourse.com, highly recommend that. Five audio lessons on how to create more friends in your life. Because guys, you need connection. You need people reflecting back your value. And that's where it began for me. And that's why I bring that to you. So guys, I hope you have an amazing week. I hope you had an amazing Labor Day. I hope you got some amazing memories in there. I know I did. And guys, I will talk to you guys again on Friday.